0: Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. Hey, it's so good to see you. Welcome and thank you for coming. Uh, I'm preaching on like one of my very favorite things today. I have a fun little message for you today. Let me ask you a question. Uh, when, in our culture, when someone sneezes, what do you say? Bless you. Yeah, a few of you Germans say it different. Gesundheit. But but uh, yeah, we say bless you. And uh, it's a funny thing. If they sneeze once, we say bless you. If they see sneeze, like you know how sometimes do people do that repeater thing? Sneeze, 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 sneeze. And then you go, bless you. Wow, you're giving them an extra blessing, like they won the Oscar or something? I mean, you know. And, we, and you know, you think, well, where'd that come from? It turns out that bless you thing after a sneeze has been around, not hundreds of years, but maybe even a couple of thousand years. They've been doing it for a very, very long time. And uh, originally, if you go look at the history of it, they thought that when someone sneezed, there was a potential for an evil spirit to enter. So they said, bless you to protect you. (laughs) I'm thinking, there's no evil spirit coming in. That evil spirit's going out, right? (laughs) I had a friend, true story, I had a friend, every time he sneezed, he'd go, and stay out in Jesus' name. (laughs) And he really needed to be saying that, by the way. Uh, But in the English-Anglo-Saxon culture, the history is a little bit different. It happened within the Bubonic Plague. And in the Bubonic Plague, when people sneezed, kind of a bad sign that they may have contracted the the plague and so the bless you was kind of a benediction kind of like bless you rest in peace nice knowing you so long sucker it was (laughs) kind of along those lines and um and you know i was thinking about that because during covid it was interesting right because you didn't dare sneeze or cough during covid right or otherwise you got labeled or accused of being a super spreader and you know in the old days what happened is if we would break wind we would cough to cover it up well during covid i was uh breaking wind to cover up a cough (laughs) i said no no that that wasn't that wasn't a cough that was a (laughs) Okay, so this message is not really on sneezing and farting, but, you know, unless you want to go there. Uh, Today, I want to talk about sharing our our faith. And, uh, you know, we're not always great at it, and I'm going to make it so simple and so accessible today. I promise you, every single one of you will be able to get it and be able to do what I'm going to talk about today. So I saw a really interesting stat, though, this week. And it had to do with what people believe. And 77% in North American culture believe in heaven. I thought, okay, that's pretty good. That's a lot of people who believe in heaven. But only 32% believe in hell. And I'm thinking, okay, I can also understand that. Here's the part that I was surprised. Only 1% of the population believes they're actually going to hell. And I thought, that's really true. I don't know anybody that thinks they're going to hell. Nobody thinks they're going to hell. Uh, People have this weird spirituality today, you've probably seen it, where they go, wow, you know, here's what I believe. You just need to be a pretty good person. How many of you have heard this? You just need to be a pretty good person. And in my life, I think the good outweighs the bad, to which I'm always thinking. You know, if you're 51% good and 49% bad, you're still a very bad person. 49% is a lot of bad. You shouldn't be bragging about that. You know, and, and where do you have to draw that line in order to have enough good to balance out the bad? And the fact of the matter is people do not know they are lost. You know they are, but they don't know they are. Interesting story. So, there was this uh, tour group on, on, the, on the island country of Iceland, and they were a bus tour and they're going around to location, location, and uh, a woman went missing. One of the tour participants went missing, and here was the headline. It said, Missing woman finds herself after intense search. So, so here's how the story went. Uh, she was on the tour and she wasn't comfortable, so she went back to the bus and she changed her clothes. And uh, came back, and while she was doing that, they realized they were missing someone. So we, she went back. She said, "What's going on?" They said, "Someone's got, gone missing, and we're looking for her." She says, "Well, what does she look like?" So they described her. She did not recognize herself in the description, and spent the next nine hours with the search party looking for herself. (laughs) And finally, at three in the morning, they called the search off when she found herself (laughs) in the midst of the search party. And it just sort of reminds me of the fact that people go through life and they don't know if they're lost, they're found, or what's going on. But we know from scripture that Jesus came to seek and save those that were lost. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. We're gonna be talking about how important that is. So here's the story. Let me just say this before I get into it. You know, most people hate anything on evangelism in the church. If you were to run an evangelism course in a church this size, and we advertised it widely, we would probably get approximately three people. No, nobody will come to this. They hate it. They're intimidated by it. They don't want to do it. They, they don't feel like they have the skills and whatever, and, and they're just not comfortable with it in our culture. I remember a story about this, this pastor. He, he kind of told the whole church they were going out on the weekend, and they were going door to door, knocking on doors, and sharing the gospel. Well, almost nobody wanted to do it. One woman said, "Pastor, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I'm not an extrovert. I can't knock on a door and start talking to a stranger." And the pastor said, "All you need to do is pray, and you pray before you knock on that door, and God will take care of the rest." So several hours later, they all gathered together, and the pastor turned to her and said, "So how did it go?" She said, "It went perfect, just like you said. Before I knocked on a door, I would pray, and I had a great afternoon." Twenty-seven doors and not one person home. (laughs) So what we're going to do is we're going to look at what I think is the most accessible, doable, reproducible model of sharing our faith that is so easy. In fact, it's not even evangelizing. I would call this, if if I was going to give it a cheesier title than I did, it would be sharing your faith with the ease of a sneeze. But that sounded so stupid that I didn't use it. So here we are. We're in Luke chapter 19, verse 1. A story you know. But as we look at it, we're going to pull some things out that I think are really going to help you. Verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. And he was rich and he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place... He looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, Look, I give half my goods to the poor and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today's salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. There's a lot of stuff going on in this story that we want to talk about we don't want to miss. Uh, First of all, I want to point out this. Who was Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a tax collector, a chief tax collector. He was very rich. And the deal with tax collectors were this. They were Jewish people that were recruited by the Roman government to extract taxes from the Jews to give to the Romans to occupy the Jews. Not very popular people. And if there was ever a sinner in the Jewish mindset, it was the tax collector. And this dude was a chief tax collector. That's why nobody would let him in. They wouldn't let him pass. They nudged him out. He was short of stature. So this is who he is. Uh, the second thing that I think we see in this story that sort of interests is Jesus knew who he was. He called him by name. Don't know why he knew, but he knew. He's not in his own hometown. He's in the city of Jericho, but he knew this guy by name. But here's the big point I want to make, and I don't want you to miss it. Jesus was very good with sharing his faith. <laughs> right? I mean, nobody's better than that. But here's what's fascinating. You never once see him accosting people. You never once see him standing on a street corner, preaching the gospel and telling people they're going to hell. You never see him blindsiding people. You never see him going after people and confronting people. And you you don't see him doing it. Not once. You see him doing one of two things. Either the people came to him, like in the story of Zacchaeus, or you find him encountering people as he went just as he went. And so in fact, the Bible doesn't teach us to go and to confront people with the gospel. That is not the message. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the model that Jesus used and the model that you can use. And we call this the Bless You model. And I'm going to throw it up on the screen. And, and here's what it looks like uh, B L E S S. It's an acrostic. The B is begin with prayer. The L is to listen. The E is to eat. The S is to serve. And the second S is to share your story. So when we look at the first one, it all begins with prayer. I think we could probably all agree that Jesus prayed for the lost. How many think that was true? You can see several prayers for the loss that he gives. He wept over Jerusalem. He said for us to pray for the Lord of the harvest. Jesus began and ended every day with prayer, right? I mean, he was a man of prayer. He punctuated everything he did with prayer at the beginning, prayer at the end. He went from place to prayer, place to prayer, did miracles in between. That's who Jesus was. And so we know that he was praying for people's souls. And God continually throughout his entire adult life gave him divine encounters where he had these people literally coming to him. And I guess this is the first one thing I want to say to you. When when you're thinking about who you might want to share your faith with, don't go go after the angriest, meanest, most resistant person you know. Leave your brother-in-law to someone else, right? (laughs) And instead, why don't you go after the low-hanging fruit? You know what the low-hanging fruit is it is fruit that is ripe it's fruit that is ready to be picked it is people who have been prepared by the holy spirit to receive you and to receive the message of your life those should be your target and you're gonna love this Zacchaeus was literally low-hanging fruit he was hanging from a tree he was, I mean, really, does it get any more obvious than that? I'm wondering who I should share my faith with. Oh, there's a guy hanging from a tree. That must be low-hanging fruit. And you see, what God does is he prepares people for us. And so we're all going to encounter people. I need, you want to pray for divine encounters. God will give them to you. Jesus had them all day long. You see them. But at the same time, here's what we need to be thinking about. We need to be targeting people in our life. That need the Lord that we already have relationship with. Now, let me ask you a question: Is there anybody in this room that knows a single person that it wouldn't kill them if they got saved? Anybody? Nobody like that? Anybody? Really? Like ten percent of you? Do you, you heard the question? Did I say the question wrong? How many? Of, let me. Ask, I'll ask the question a different way. How many of you know someone you think could use Jesus as their Lord? How many? Anybody? Okay, thank you. I know you were just too lazy to put up your hand, which is really sad. But, but thank you for participating. This is the participatory part, because I'm going to ask you more questions. So track with me, and when I ask you to put up your hand, do it, okay? Would you do that for me? So, so here's what I want to know. How many of you know three or more people that you could pray for? If you didn't do nothing else, you could pray for them that they would come to Christ, because you really want these three people. Put up three fingers how many of you have three, three people, three people that you could name. If I pointed you out, you could name them. You could name those three people. If I asked you to name those, you got to hold your hand up because we're not finished here. Boy, you hate doing this. You're, 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 not going to be paralyzed for holding your hand up for a minute. Okay. So, so how many of you know four people put, put up four fingers. If you know four, how many, do you, how many of you, you know, five people that need Jesus, how many, of you know, five, and you could name those people. Now here, now you can put your hands down. Those of you that actually participated in this, thank you. uh, Most of you put up five fingers. And that means you know five people. Here's what I want you to do. As I'm going through this message, I want you to think specifically about those five people. And we're going to, before we're done here, we're going to be giving you a card. And uh, not today, but in the next weeks ahead. We're going to give you a card. You can put it on your fridge or in your wallet. Just so you can write those names on it. Remember those names. And we're going to pray with you for, for those names and I just want you to think what would happen. What would happen if every single one of us who put up those fingers of five people, if all those people in the next 12 months came to Christ, what would that do to your life? What would it do to the life of this church? What would it do to our city if, if we could quintupled in size? It's an incredible thought to think about this. So let me, I have another question for you. How many of you... And please participate if this is you. How many of you came to Christ as an adult? As an adult, you came to Christ. Hold your hand up and hold, keep holding it up. And now, second part, supplementary question is this. How many of you discovered after you came to Christ that there was people who had been praying for you beforehand? How many? I only saw a couple of hands go down in the, in the room. And the, rest, the ones that did go down, they just didn't know who the people were. But see, this is what we discovered is that there were people praying for us and that's why we came to christ i want to tell you the short version of my my little journey so so I grew up in this household. Some of you know this, that there were six of us siblings. We we're all more or less the same age for some reason. I'm not sure how that worked. We we're all like a year apart. My mom was really busy. Uh, and uh, we were all kind of the same age and our friends were all friends of each other. So we had six six kids uh, with all friends that were all friends of each other and their friends were friends and this big gang of us. And in, in our house, our house was an open door, literally we never, ever, growing up, never locked our door. Ever. It was open all night. It was never locked. When we landed on holidays, we had to leave it unlocked. you know why? We didn't have a key. Nobody had a key to our house. And we never had one. I grew up with a house without a key. And we never locked the doors. And it would get broken into sometimes, but usually it was my friends. And so my friends would come over. They never knocked. They didn't have to knock. They just came in. They ate our food. They sat at our table. It drove my dad nuts he could have got a key i suppose but he never did and he hated it in particular he'd wake on a wake up on a saturday morning he'd go into the living room and someone would be asleep on the couch he'd come and wake me up and say mark who's sleeping on the couch i I don't know let me go look (laughs) oh that's my friend larry why is larry sleeping on the couch uh I guess he was drunk <laughs> and didn't have anywhere to go. That's how I grew up. That's how I lived. We were a bunch of pack of wild dogs. Drove my dad crazy. My mom didn't even notice. And so this went on. And so then what happened is my dad ended up leaving. Well, you can hardly blame him. You know, my mom thinks it was her. It wasn't. It was us. We drove him crazy. He left. And so anyway, my mom was pretty upset you know upset about that and she ended up coming to christ in that whole situation it was it was good for her spiritually on that and my friends were really felt sorry for my mom and the situation she was in and so they knew her really well and and they they sat down with her one day and they said chicky is there anything we can do anything we can do for you guys and my mother says well if you're gonna ask would you pray for us well, none of my friends knew how to pray. They could maybe do the Hail Mary or something, but they didn't know how to pray. And she says, I'll give you the pray. Would you, would you, would you commit to praying you know, every day for me? And so if someone that you love asks you to do something and the thing they want you to do is pray, you're going to say yes. So we got these rank stinking sinners that I hung out with and my mother gives them this prayer and they all agreed to pray it every day and the prayer did actually start out praying for my parents for one line and then the rest of the prayer was I say went like this Lord I ask for your Holy Spirit to begin to work in my life and actually purge me of my sin and bring me to a personal relationship with you and to fill me with your Holy Spirit and this is how the prayer went and so me and my goofball drunken friends, we're all r- reading the prayer every day. God, come and save us and <laughs> fill us with the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't know if you're going to believe this. Guess what happened to all these people? They all got saved. They were praying. They, were, they were got saved. They were praying for themselves that they would get saved, and they got saved. I am not making this story up. And my brothers and sisters all got saved. And our friends all got saved, and our girlfriends all got saved, and our boyfriends got saved. My girlfriend got saved. I married her. She's named Kathy. <laughs> and our cousins got saved. And when this thing was all said and done, within about six months' time, there was about 30, 35 people, all in their 20s, all came to Christ. And all started going to church. And, and it was a mini revival that all began because we started praying for each other. It was so weird. And then we started a church out of it. I don't know if you've ever heard of this church. It's called? Yeah, Church of the Rock. This is the church. (laughs) That that, that group of people that began with me in the beginning were were my friends and my relatives and the people that all come to Christ in, in in this time together. And this is the fruit of that years and years and years later. And so here's what we do. We begin with prayer and God takes care of almost everything else. So that's the first thing. Now we have the the L. And the L is pretty important, though, because the L stands for listen. Now, here's the problem. In our culture, we're not good listeners. You know what we like to do? (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we like to talk. You know, the opposite of talking is not listening. You know what the opposite of talking is? Waiting for your turn to talk. That's what it is. I, I know a bunch of you are like that. I'm like that. You know, somebody's talking. I'm not listening. I'm not listening to what they're saying. I'm waiting for my turn to talk because I can't wait to start talking. And, you know, it's really problematic because what we need to do is start listening to people. And if we would listen to people, we'd have a lot more opportunity than we think. Now, I wanted to tell you about Jesus and four encounters. He had four divine encounters. And in these four divine encounters that you all know, it's fascinating how different they all were. So I'll tell you who these people were. They were Nicodemus, they were the rich young ruler, the certain lawyer, and the woman at the well. You know those stories. And here's what's fascinating to me, is that Jesus presented the gospel four different ways to four different people. So to Nicodemus, he told him, you must be must be born again. Do you know that he was the only person in all of scripture he ever told to be born again? Nobody else, he never used that expression again or for anybody else other than Nicodemus. Then we have the rich young ruler and he told him to sell all his goods, give them to the poor and come follow me. So that's what he told him. And to the certain lawyer, he told him to love his neighbor as himself. And to the woman at the well, he told her that what she needed to do was to find the living water and she would thirst no more. So why did he present the gospel four different ways to four different people? Because he listened long enough to figure out what their needs were And he ministered to them. We don't know why being born again was specific to Nicodemus. We don't know why. But for whatever reason, that was what he needed to hear. And we have evangelists like Billy Graham that went and told everybody all the time that they needed to be born again, which is theologically correct. I'm not criticizing him for that. But the point is, one size did not fit all. Jesus listened. He perceived what their need was. And he ministered specifically to each person's need based on where they were at. And that's the problem. Everybody's different. The four spiritual laws of Romans Road or any of these evangelistic programs, they're not going to fit everybody. And so what we need to do before we ever say a word is we need to listen and find out where these people are at. And I know what some of you think, and they go, oh, I don't want to listen to them. They're going to tell me their harebrained view of spirituality. Yeah, maybe for a minute, but you know that, you know what we're going to talk about after that, after you listen for a while? They're going to talk about their kids and their family and their wife and their marriage and their money and their emotional problems and a million different things. Because at the end of the day, you know what people like to talk about? You know what their favorite subject is? <laughs> yeah, it's themselves. That's what they want to talk about. And so you just be a good listener and you open up and find out what their actual needs are. And then you're prepared to be able to maybe speak into those needs. Great story I want to tell you. So... There was this mission team went to India, and they were particularly targeting a slum, a squatter's village. And uh, they had money, and they had resources, and they had people, and they were bringing them the Christian gospel for the first time. And so they showed up in this village, and they said, so we've come, we want to do something for you. We could build you a school, or we could build you a medical clinic, or we could give you a church. We'd really like to build you a church. And uh, these people said, we don't want any of those. And so they said, well, what do you want? They said, we want mailboxes. (laughs) And they went, what do you mean you want mailboxes? Now, here's what you need to understand. These poor folks living in squatters' villages... Uh, there's no streets, there's no postal codes, there's no mailboxes, there's nowhere to get mail, there's nowhere to send mail. They don't exist. They don't have house numbers, they don't have street numbers. And none of these things exist. They said, what we need is we need to be able to have mailboxes so that we can receive mail and we could receive uh, aid from the government and so that we could have social security numbers and so we can get jobs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we can't participate in society unless we have mailboxes. So this group, and still instead of building them the church, used their money and their time, and it took them two years to get street names and street numbers and postal codes. But eventually, after two years, every single person living in the squatters village now had an address and a postal code. But spiritually, guess what happened over that period of two years? Guess how many of those people came to Christ? They all did. The whole village came to Christ because the Christians had come and listened and gave them what they really needed. So the B stands for begin with prayer. The L stands for listening. The E stands for eat. And and you can't really skip this phase. And you know, this one is, there's no exact order to the L and the E and the S. You can serve or eat or listen, whatever. You might have to eat with people first before you listen. You might have that opportunity. But here's what's so important about eating. When you sit down and break bread with somebody, or even go for coffee, you are actually saying, there's a social contract that begins, you are saying something. You're actually saying, I like you. You're actually saying, I want to get to know you. You are a- entering into a relationship, and if you're never prepared ever to sit down with someone, then you really have to question the depth of that relationship. Right? And so Jesus sees the chaos who's the low-hanging fruit. And the first thing he says is, Zacchaeus, come down at once because I must come to your house. And they went and he ate with Zacchaeus. And everybody criticized him for it, right? He's going to eat at a sinner's house. And in fact, Jesus earned a nickname. Who remembers where it was? A friend of? Why did they call him a friend of sinners? (laughs) Because he was a friend of sinners, This is revolutionary stuff. Hey, people, <laughs> revolutionary stuff. Who would have thought? And he actually cared enough about them that he went and he broke bread with them and he spent time with them because how else is he going to be able to listen? How else is he going to build trust with them? So I have this story, great story I want to tell you. I just heard it this week firsthand from the guy and I was at a conference and uh, the guy's name is Jay and Jay was the outreach director for a Big Church. And he was charged with the responsibility of doing big events where they sprung Jesus on people in the middle of the event and evangelize. So he would do a big concert, let's say, bring in some well-known band, he'd do this big concert, and then in the middle of the concert, he'd go, Jesus! And he would spring it on everybody and do a bait and switch on them. So that's what he did, and he had budgets of tens of thousands of dollars to do this. And so he was doing this event, and he had a, a big stage and 2,000 seats in the auditorium. And about two hours before the event, he, ha- he recognized that nobody was going to come to his event because they hadn't marketed it, and, and, and he was in trouble. And so he phoned up all his friends. He said, come on, you guys. You've got to get down here. Bring everybody you know. I'm afraid nobody's going to come. Well, anyway, that night, 2,000 seats set out. The band starts, lights, and all the stuff going on, and action, and wall of sound, 108 people showed up. So it was a complete bust for this big event like that. So anyway, the next day he goes to work and and he thinks, I'm going to get fired today. I'm the worst outreach director ever. Well, he didn't get fired that day because there was a funeral that day and the church was busy. And so he was pretty happy. He dodged a bullet, didn't get fired. And then that night, now he's really beat up that next night and he's pretty discouraged and feeling like a complete failure. And then he realizes, oh, I have a small group at my house tonight and I have to lead the small group. He says, I'm going to phone my wife. So he phones his wife. He says, honey, I think I'm just going to cancel. I'm not in the place. I can leave small group tonight. She says, you can't cancel small group. He says, just watch me. And she says, no, you can't just do that to people. It's too late notice. You can't cancel it. So she says, well, how about this? How about we just have a potluck and everybody brings food and we just hang out tonight? He said, okay, I guess I could have enough strength for that. We could do that. So he stays late at work that night, and he gets home uh, to the small group. He walks in. They live in an apartment. And he gets onto his floor, and the whole floor is filled with people in the halls and they're eating, and they're drinking, and he hears noise coming from his apartment, and the door is open, and he doesn't recognize any of these people, and he says, I'm pretty sure I'm on the right floor, and he looks into his apartment, and there's all these people he doesn't know, and there's some guy sitting on the couch playing his guitar, and he goes up to the guy, and he says, that's my guitar, and the guy says, hey, you must be Jay, and he says that's my guitar. And so this guy just keeps playing, ignores him. So he goes to his wife and says, honey, what's going on here? She says, we're having a small group. I, she say, he says, I know, but where'd all these people come from? She says, well, I was out on the patio and I was barbecuing some food for the potluck tonight. And, and when the neighbors were coming home from work, I said, hey, we're having a get together. Why don't you grab something and come on over? And hey, look at this. They all came. And they all came and so their whole house is full of people so he starts talking to people and they're, sa- and, and they're saying hey you know we've been seeing people coming into this building and into your apartment for 10 years and we all know what's going on in there what is going on and so when your wife invited us we thought let's go find out and they all showed up and they said you guys are having a great time here this is super fun so then he stopped for a moment and he started to analyze his life and he thought here i am I have a full-time job where I'm paid to be an outreach director. I just did an event where I spent tens of thousands of dollars, and got, I got 108 people out. My wife, in two hours, and for $80, brought the same amount of people into our house. <laughs> She's doing a better job with this than I am. And then he realized he was doing it wrong. And he realized he needed to s- switch it up. So which they did. So one of their neighbors had, came to them and, and she had been diagnosed with cancer recently. She was very upset about it. And so they said, well, this is what we do. We pray. And they prayed for her. She went back to the doctor and she got a clean bill of health. The cancer disappeared. So guess what? So that was their first convert. And so she came to Christ. So that was great. And then, and then, uh, then her son got, came to Christ and then her other son came to Christ. And then the husband came over one day and he knocked on the door. His name was Walt. And he said, Jay, I I just want to thank you for what you're doing for my wife and for my kids. He said, it's obviously working for them. It's changed their life. They're they're much better people. And my wife is healed. And and I I just want to thank you for that. But just so we're really clear about this, I'm out on this. (laughs) And so don't be jamming this Jesus stuff down my throat because I am out. Do you understand? And Jay says, yeah, I understand. I got it. You're out. I got it. So anyway, over the next few years, the wife got baptized, and the son got baptized, and then the second son got baptized. And six years had come gone by, and Walt had come to all the baptisms, and there he is—he's at the baptism of his, of his youngest son, and he goes up to Jay. By this time, Jay is the pastor of the church, and uh, and he goes up to Jay and he says, "I see you're baptizing people," and Jay says, "Yeah," and he says, "Walt says, I want to be baptized today," to which Jay said what? Why? <laughs> he says, well, because I, I want to get baptized. He says, no, you said you were out. You said, I, under no circumstances were you in, you said you were out. Well, he says, I want to be in now. I want in. I want to be baptized. He says, All right, if we have to, we'll baptize you. <laughs> and that night, Walter got saved. It was a funny story. I was cracking up all the way through this story. And I thought, you know what? That's really how simple this is. We just really need to engage people. So the first thing is that we p- begin with prayer. And then L, you listen. Then you, e, you eat. And then, then the, the fourth thing is, is you serve them. Now, again, you can do this in any order. But one of the things Jesus did, it was so profoundly simple. What did Jesus do in his mission for the most part? He just served people. If they had a need, what did Jesus do? <laughs> he met it. If they were sick, what did he do? If they were demonized, what did he do? He just just used the resources he had, which were significant, much better than ours. But he just used the resources he had to serve people. And he never said no to them. Interesting, right? And how many remember what happened with blind Bartimaeus? Blind Bartimaeus said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he went up to blind Bartimaeus and he said to him, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? He, he, he listened to blind Bartimaeus, and blind Bartimaeus said that I might receive my sight. So he, so he asked blind Bartimaeus what he wanted. He answered, and he said that I might receive my sight. Take a wild stab at it. What did Jesus do? He, he did for him what he wanted. And see, this is what happens with us. We have opportunities every day to serve people. They have needs, and when you listen, you actually find out what those needs are. And you can't do everything for people, but you can do something, right? There was this interesting study. They didn't know they were in a study. They became a study after the fact. But it was about two groups of missionaries that went to Thailand. And they had a much different approach. And the researcher after he kind of analyzed what they did, he called the one group the converters and the other group the blessers because the converters went to Thailand with the express mission to evangelize people and convert them to Christianity. The blessers went and they just decided they were just going to bless people and serve where they had opportunity and whatever needs they saw, they were going to minister to those needs. They didn't know they were in this study. It was sort of done retrospectively after the fact. But anyway, they analyzed the data and here's what's interesting. The blessers had 50, five, zero times as many converts as the converters. Because at the end of the day, when you love people, care for people, when you build relationship with people, and when you serve them, God just opens up their heart. Because at the end of the day, this actually isn't about you. And there's no way you can make somebody come to Christ. It's always about the work of the Holy Spirit. And when you begin to pray for people, listen to people, build a relationship with people, and to serve them, God just softens their heart and does the work for you. All you have to do is be in the way. And the last and the final thing is this, and it's important, is that the opportunity will eventually come for you to share your story. And you have to at some point, you can't just be their friend and never tell them about Jesus. But the way to tell them about Jesus, the most effective way And the most powerful way is for you to share your story. And I don't care who you are and how early you came to Christ in life. You all have a story of what Jesus has done. And here's why your story is so powerful. No one can refute your story. Right? People are saying, oh, I can't argue with the Quran and the Hindu Vitas and all this. I don't know. You don't need to know any of that. All you need to know is your story, and you know your story. And your story is irrefutable. You don't tell your story and people say, well, I don't believe that. You say, I don't care if you believe it or not. It's my stupid story. It happened. There's no argument against your story. But at some point, you have to be willing to tell your story. And the opportunity will come if you do the other four things. Now, let me leave you with this one final thought. This is what Kathy and I do. We do not evangelize our friends. We enjoy our friends. Because you know why? They're not projects. If you treat them like projects, you know what they are? Projects. Aren't you glad God doesn't treat you like a project? You are my beloved project in whom I'm well pleased. No, you are, you are a son and daughter of the living God. You're part of his family. Why would we ever treat people like that? Why would we treat them like they were mere projects? And what you need to do is you need to enjoy your friends so much that they love hanging out with you. And here's my advice to you. I wouldn't be, those five people I asked you to pray for, I wouldn't pick people you don't like. You know what? Pick people you like because people you like are easier to eat with and easier to listen to and easier to love and easier to serve. And you know, here's the thing. Those people you don't like, Somebody else likes them. Let that person deal with them, <laughs> and, and, and you go after the people that you can easily build a relationship with. And I'm telling you, we do this all the time. And I'll just share this one thing with you. When when Kathy and I have our friends over for a barbecue, let's say our non-Christian friends, we don't we don't you know preach the gospel at them. We don't do. One, there's only one thing I do. The one thing I do, and I always do it, is I pray for the food. And I say, do you mind if I pray for the food? It's my food. They're gonna let me pray for it. And and but here's how I pray. I pray a prayer that they absolutely have to agree with. And I always thank God and I say, thank you, God, for all of this. Thank you that we live in a place that we're so blessed and we have freedom and democracy. And I thank you that we have prosperity. And we never take this life for granted because you've given us so much. You know what they do when I'm saying that prayer? They're all nodding their heads. Because they know it's true. Whether they're Christians or not, they know they're blessed out of their socks to live in a place called Canada. And it becomes that little thing. And here's what happens. Invariably, the, the, invariably, these people that we enjoy don't evangelize. Invariably, they ask if they can come to church. They say, you know, we'd really like to come to your church sometime. And I always say, oh, it's kind of crowded, you know. <laughs> but we really want to come. I say, all right, we'll try to squeeze you in. And our friends come to church, and our friends get... Gets get saved when they come to church, and it hasn't happened since last week, which it did, but it happens, people. And that's all you have to do is to bless people into the kingdom, and every last one of you can do this. Let's stand together. So we're going to do two things. We're going to go back to the five people in your life, but let's talk to the one that might be in here today that has never invited Christ into the life to be their Lord and Savior. And you're not here by accident. You're here because the Holy Spirit has drawn you in here. And you've been listening to this and you thought to yourself, I haven't made that commitment myself. And if you're here today and you've never invited Jesus into your life and you don't have that personal relationship I'm talking about, we want to give you the opportunity we're going to do it super simple. We're not going to call you forward or ask you to say anything publicly. You don't have to, you know, come up to the front or anything like that. So I'm going to ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. And so I can just do this very privately and anonymously. If that's you and you're ready today to make that commitment to be a follower of Jesus and know you're on your way to heaven, I want you to just slip up your hand wherever you are. Just take a moment and slip up your hand so I can see it. And when I've seen it, you can put it down. All right, thank you. Anybody else want to join? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Okay. All right. I didn't see everybody's hand, but, but God did. And, uh, so let's all pray together, and let's pray with those who raised their hand, would you? Lord Jesus, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that has drawn me to this moment so that I might have a relationship with you. I thank you that you died on the cross for my sins. You rose again on the third day, and you forever live to be my Lord. Today I'm a Christian, and I have a relationship with the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Last thing we want to do before we go here. See, here's what we're going to do over, over the next few weeks. We're going to, we're going to keep pressing into this blessing. Thing. We're going to get some cards for you so you can write these names down, put them in your wallet, put them in your fridge or whatever. But the more important thing is for you to just remember to be praying for these people. So for those of you that had those three to five people, I just want you to hold your hands up like this. You can hold your hand up one more time. It really, you won't go to the hospital. And so we'll just do this one more time. And I want to pray with you for these people. And I'll pray out loud, but I want you to pray in your heart. And I want you to think of those five people by name. I want you to take a moment. Just go through those five first names in your head right now. And Lord, we lift up these people to you. And Lord, we uh, are so grateful that you care more about them than we do. And that you will begin to work by your Holy Spirit in their hearts. And that you will prepare them for the moment where they will come to a living relationship with you. And Lord, would you give us the wherewithal and the resources to reach out to them the way we ought to, to pray for them, to listen to them, to eat with them, to serve them, to, and that opportunity to share our story with them. And Father, we can't do this on our own, but we don't have to because you, by your spirit, will do the work and we just need to be there to avail ourselves to it. And so, Father, we thank you for these five or more that within the next 12 months, we're going to see significant movement spiritually in their lives. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give the Lord a big shout today. Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free and find purpose.